Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Um, well, thank you. The, uh, the topic um, I just I picked when, uh, when I was talking with, um, I think it was, was it Nicholas or was it Daniel? I don't remember. Was, um, was surrender through the steps. And, uh, I, at the time I was interested and it was just the thing going, going on that day. I was thinking about what, um, what exactly surrender means and what goods and what good the steps are doing for me in terms of living in a surrendered way. And um, today, you know, that was, that was a couple of months ago, I think. And uh, a month ago uh, today, uh, you know, there's other things going through my head, but, um, but they're all connected because there's no escape from surrender. Um, not just because I'm an addict, but because of why I'm an addict and how I live um, when I'm not sober and when I'm sober, even. So I'm, I'm just going to do a little intro, and it's, I think it's going to lead into what I mean by surrender and, and what all that stuff is all about. Um, I had to write some of these things down. I apologize. <laughs> Because when I start doing an intro, I usually get off topic, and I want to try to keep myself on topic. Um, I I always knew that um, life just had to be amazing, and I proved it. It became proved to me beyond a shadow of a doubt um, when I discovered porn, because that was amazing. It was the most amazing thing that I've that I had seen. And, uh, and I knew, I felt sure that, that I had found everything that I would ever need. And um, I lost that faith when I got married, <laughs> but, um, because, but not because of my wife, but because um, I knew that I didn't want to be married to a machine. I was tired of my hand. Um, and I figured that having real sex with a real person was going to be, you know, everything, just perfect. And um, the problem was that that uh, it couldn't stay amazing because in a real relationship, there are two wills, not one. And, uh, and that's a problem, you know. Um, just, just logistics became, made everything an, an impossibility. 
made satisfaction an impossibility. And that's why I meet so many guys who call me who in their year and they've been married a year and a half. It, it took, it took me about a year and a half to go out of my mind and realize that, um, that I was up the Creek and that um, I was in some major, major trouble here because I had signed up for this thing that I thought would be, would take all the porn and all my wishes and fantasies up to the next level. And it was quite the opposite because I married another human being. Um, I, um, my acting out uh, morphed in marriage from the stuff I was doing alone to, um, to lots and lots of phone sex, massage parlors, eventually uh, phone sex at all times. Now I'm doing phone sex too, in a way, because I'm on the phone with sexaholics all day long um, while I'm not working. So it's pretty much, pretty much the same as I was doing when I was acting out calling from pay phones and street thing. Now we have cell phones, so that's not a problem, but I used to carry change around all the time because I never knew when I'd have the opportunity of using a pay phone and saving my life with some, with some, you know, um, with some, uh, juicy stuff. And, um, and in fact, it got to a point with the pay phones back in the nineties that, um, you see them around, you know, the, the only reason they're around now is maybe because of the Superman uh, franchise or something. They're keeping them on the streets, but, um, or Dr. Who, but, um, uh, I, I, I got, uh, I, I sacrificed a lot. I sacrificed a lot for it. Um, I have a cold allergy. My hands would swell up in the wintertime and, um, and um, itch and, and burn and stuff. But I had to get on those pay phones. I would tell my wife I'm going out shopping and it would take an extra hour because I'd be going to the pay phones to, for, you know, for phone sex. That kind of morphed and progressed into, um, into massage parlors. And um, I thought I had really got it then, but uh, it wasn't satisfying. And um, then into exhibitionism a little, and that wasn't very satisfying as you could, as you know, um, it was just total compulsion at that point. Um, I hit bottom a year and a half so far, at least. I, I don't know. <laughs> the proof that it's the bottom is that you don't act out uh, as far as I know. Um, otherwise it's a, it's not a bottom. Um, but so far, my bottom was a year and a half after my wife caught me in 95. Um, went to my fifth therapist in 97, about a year and a half after my wife caught me. And she's the, this therapist was the one that was first one that was an addiction specialist. And she told me, she told me that, um, that she can't help me <laughs> after she heard my story. She was a first, she was a second person who I had told everything everything that I could get out of me, I told her. Um, just like the book, I, I, I didn't give anyone else a really fair shake, but I did give her a fair shake. And I told her everything, and she told me she can't help me. She's an alcoholic. She didn't tell me that initially, but excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. since she was an alcoholic, I presume, and a, and a good therapist and an honest person, she told me that she couldn't really help me. But she could help me with peripheral issues, and in the meantime, I needed God. I needed a relationship with God that I was probably not going to get because um, I was already a religious guy and, and I was pretty happy with my religion. 
and uh, she said, it's time to go to SA. She gave me a phone number of a guy who would eventually turn out to be my sponsor, sent me. He sent me to my first meeting, which turned out to be my home group, still is. And after 15 years of sponsoring with him, um, I didn't hear from him anymore, but I got another sponsor and learned new things from new people <laughs> um, and um, kept going in my home group uh, ever since and have been sober one day at a time because of that, through that. Um, uh, always tried to do service because he told me that that's very important. And it is. And, uh, and I agree. Um, I count my sobriety date from February 28th, 1997, including the last day that I acted out that day, uh, which my wife found out about. And she said, oh, that doesn't make any sense. You got to start from the next day. And I said to her, no, no, no. The reason that I'm sober now is because I killed it that day. I, I had enough. It's because of that day that I'm sober today. So I need to count that day. And, um, and that's what I do. Um, uh, that day, that, that hour, I became uh, willing to have God. Uh, I became ready. I don't know, entirely ready. I, I don't think I was entirely ready. I became entirely ready. I, I might not still be entirely ready, but, um, but I became more ready than I had ever been until then to have God um, free me from uh, my obsession with lust and my need to have lust. Uh, my need to have, to act out my lust. Um, uh, I had been entirely ready, entirely ready many, many times before that to finally, finally control myself. And it never worked. And I'm sure I was entirely ready. Um, uh, um, I was the different thing, the difference this time, the reason that I call it my bottom is because I was finally, I see in retrospect, entirely ready to have God free me and to live free. And that's what surrender is. And that brings me to, to surrender. When, uh, when my kids misbehave and I'm upset because the neighbors see and I feel like they're going to look at me and think that I'm not a good father or my kids are going to grow up no good and blah, blah, blah. For me to get past that is impossible until I reach step six. I can do the analysis. I can analyze it to death in step four. It won't do me a drop of good um, in terms of getting free. Um, it'll help me with self-acceptance. Step four to me is just self-acceptance. And I'm not speaking for the program here. I just want to say that again. I'm not speaking for the program. I'm speaking for my own recovery. Only the books can speak for the program. But, but, um, uh, but uh, as far as, um, as far as um, my own experience goes, um, what, what I needed was I, I needed to be, I need to be free from this stuff and surrender. Step six is becoming entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character, not lust as a, as the addiction, but the step four stuff, which might include lust, but, but not as the addiction itself. Um, I don't know if the addiction gets removed, you know, 
step one tells me that that um, step one tells me pretty clearly that um, I'm powerless over lust. That's what makes me a sexaholic. That I'm powerless. I mean, the, the step's not telling me I'm a sexaholic. I come to the program. My step one is what I contribute. It's the only thing in the program besides my character defects, which are optional. Um, the only thing I really contribute to the program is, is my acting out and my addiction. Um, I come to the program realizing that, wow, these words apply to me. So I belong. I admitted that I'm a sexaholic, that, my, that, I, can't, that I can't control lust. Just like an alcoholic, I can drink alcohol, thank goodness. I like it. So I say, thank goodness. Uh, makes, makes dinner taste better, you know? Chuck C. jokes around about that. He says, an alcoholic hears that. And he says, do you mean on the, uh, no, that was Sandy B. He says, do you mean on the way up or on the way down? <laughs> but, but um, you know, a sexaholic, um, um, lust is really, is really feeding me, you know? I, I, I don't see lust as optional. I don't see sex as optional as a sexaholic. Um, I don't use it the way a normal person can. A normal person can look at pornography. A normal person can do all kinds of sexual what I would consider sexual acting out behaviors, but what makes them normal is that they can control it and, and their life doesn't become unmanageable as a result. Uh, they, they're, they're lusting even, even their lusting doesn't necessarily become unmanageable. Mine necessarily becomes unmanageable, guaranteed. My lusting will eventually, when I lust, when I pick up lust, I, it will become unmanageable to me. That is a guarantee, and that's what makes me a sexaholic. And that has not been relieved in SA. And God, I don't believe, removes that from me. I don't think God gives me the ability to lust. Just like he doesn't in Alcoholics Anonymous, he might give the alcoholic the ability to drink. But alcoholics don't test that because of this thing called humility. I don't test it. I don't think it's because of humility. I don't test it because God knows I've lusted hundreds of times <laughs> since I got sober. Thousands probably, thousands of times, yeah, thousands of times since I got sober. But every time I did, I saw, whoa, whoa, whoa. It, you know, I, I noticed someone and I, my natural, natural lust, I think as a guy, as a, as a human being, turned on and, and I felt and I said, whoa, 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 I can't intentionally, you know, it's like seeing porn. It's like, oh, that's pretty. That's nice. I realized that and I could feel how if I were to intentionally use this for even a second, um, it's going to take over me and I'm going to lose my sobriety as a, as a, as a result. Um, I used to be able to watch porn for five hours when I was acting out. I used to, <laughs> I used to be able to look at magazines, those paper things, um, for, for hours on end. I remember sitting in my basement and hearing the birds chirping. You know, oh, damn it. It's the morning again, you know, and um, I can't do that anymore. Um, you know, the, in, in my early years in, 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 in recovery, um, I would play with the edges and try stuff out. And I would always admit it in my meetings and take a 24 hour chip, you know what I mean? And um, talk to my sponsor about, you know, my sobriety and blah, blah, blah. The bottom line was that I took my fifth year. Um, I took my fifth year medallion on my fifth year anniversary. And at the end of the chip session, they, the guy said, how about a 24 hour chip? And I went up and I picked a 24 hour chip up. 
And I would do that every single meeting that I was in. If it wouldn't make a scene, it would make a scene. So I don't do it. People would start rolling their eyes. Oh yeah. But that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to walk up and get a 24 hour chip every single meeting. But let me get back to my point. So, so um, what was my point? So uh, the, um, the fact is that, that I, I, I came to see that I can't control lust anymore successfully and that I can control it progressively less successfully as time goes on. I don't become more sensitive to what people call, I don't call it luck. I don't use the word triggers because that's, to me, that's passive blaming. Um, so I don't get in, I don't engage in that stuff. I just don't like to, I don't think it's for me, it's just not the truth. Um, I, I don't get triggered. I desire. That's all. I, don't, I never say I get triggered. I never tell my wife, you triggered me. I say, I'm upset at you. You know, <laughs> I just say that. And I'll say what you said is upsetting to me because, you know, I feel as follows, you know, or because I want X, Y, and Z. Um, anyway, so, um, so I don't, I mean, if there's like a, what, what people call a trigger out there, I, I don't, I don't blame it for my lust, but, but I noticed that, um, that if I intentionally use this stuff, everything changes. My whole brain chemistry changes immediately where it used to take four or five hours. You know, it used to be, Oh, okay. That's nice. What's next? What's next? No, 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 no. And now it's, uh, as soon as I start seeing myself, it's come to the point where if I'm telling a lie, I start feeling a tickle inside myself. Like, like my engine's running down there, <laughs> you know, like it's turning on the same circuitry that acting out turns on. Um, I'm seeing my emotions progressively more and more as things outside of myself that I can observe happening to me or exerting a force, beating a force on me and, and be aware of it. And that's, that's very different than what I used to experience. I was inside every emotion that I had. I was inside every desire that I had. And to me, that's, that's a gift of freedom. And that's, I think that's only from God working in this, through this program for me. But that comes from surrender. I, I believe that comes from surrender. Why? Because every time I surrender something, what I'm doing is I'm setting it outside me and I'm saying, here it is, I give it up. Instead of it being incorporated in me, I see it as something outside myself. Every time any sexaholic doesn't act out, surrenders the acting out, I think he or she takes that, that opportunity, that lust opportunity, and sets it outside themselves. They have started the process of, of seeing it as something separate from themselves. And that's a, I think that's a gorgeous gift. And I think that freedom comes from that stuff. I think step six is doing that. Becoming entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character, to me, means that, that, um, that um, God can remove them because I said, you can have them. 
I'm willing to separate them from myself. In four, I'm recognizing that, it's, that it is part of me. It is something that I have. It is something I possess. Jealousy, grandiosity, self-centered fear. They're, they're all uh, 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 a, a, a very strong need for approval. I mean, hugely strong need for approval. Fear of disapproval. It's like death, you know, and it's part of me. And through the whole step four process, through five, a a good five brings it out of myself. I'm sharing with God, myself, and another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs. That's, That's a first, that's a huge step because that enables Six to happen. I'm setting it outside. Of, it's a process of setting these things outside myself, seeing that they are outside me. He possesses it too, my sponsor shares with me. And that helps me recognize that it, it's not essentially me. It's something I've learned. It's something I've got. And I can become willing in step six to have God remove them without killing me. You know? So... So um, that's the surrender in in step six. But the surrender starts even before that uh, while we're acting out, I think. Because I surrender to my higher power that brings me to insanity, which is lust. Um, That's what I do. Whenever I act out, I, I surrender willfully with great, with high hopes to a power greater than myself, lust, fantasy, images that, that you know, f- are lust images for me, experiences that are lust experiences for me. And, and I, I, I surrender to those things. What did I surrender? I surrendered hundreds of hours of my time. I surrendered my self-respect. I surrendered, I almost surrendered myself into jail once. Uh, got caught by a cop and um, and um, you know they didn't they didn't take it further uh, for some reason and um, almost surrendered my marriage as you heard before and I knew that eventually I would probably get caught I was pretty sure I'd get caught um, explained my way out of it ten times so that ruins the relationships. I surrendered the relationship in the marriage and the joy in the marriage. I, I surrendered my integrity. I surrendered the, my, the skin on my hands that was burning for hours. I surrendered thousands of dollars for, uh, you know, peep shows and phone calls to Hawaii with my baby in the car while I was getting change in the, uh, for $20 in the, um, laundromat and forgetting about him and then running outside seeing the window open and realizing that he could have been snatched out of there but you forget these things when you got to make a phone call to hawaii to talk to you know juanita or something you know who's probably got her baby on her lap you know anyway uh trying to make a living anyhow so um uh, I, i surrendered almost surrendered my life because i fell asleep at the wheel once and woke up slamming into a parked car at probably 30 miles an hour. Amazingly lived and uh, totaled my car, of course. Yeah. Made up a story and 
convince my wife that it was okay. You know, was she oblivious or was she willfully uh, oblivious? I, I don't know. She's not sure still, but um, kept acting out the next week for sure. Probably the next day after my neck felt better. Uh, but you know, that's the stuff I sacrifice. So surrendering and sacrificing and surrender is something I'm pretty much used to. I had a higher power for a long time. I hear guys talk about how they struggle in step two, finding a higher power. You were practicing having a higher power all the years you were acting out. You should be really good at that, trusting a higher power. I trusted lust so incredibly much. So um, anyway, um, the, the rest of the steps... The rest of the steps are are also all about surrender because ultimately the way I look at, I'll try to wrap up with this. I don't know if there's any question and answer, if there's any of that stuff going on, but in in this, in this call, but, um, but I'll take a break. No, there is. No. Okay. Dove, do you hear me? Oh yeah. Yeah. I hear you. How are you? Dove? Yeah. I hear you. Hey. Um, yeah, you can, I mean, so far, uh, Maybe you want a question? So you, you can probably still go on for a bit. Okay. I'll, uh, if I start to see questions come in, I'll, I'll cut you short. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. So um, Thank that's you. awesome. That puts me at, re- at, 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 at ease. So, uh, so anyhow, um, the way I look at the, the – for the way it works for me so far – you know, I'm sure it's going to change. Like, you know, this is changing, you know, we're changing people. Uh, but the way that it looks for me is that step one is like, uh Oh, it tells me that it tells me that I'm in trouble and that, um, and that I can't, I can't possibly do this myself because I can't control lust the way a normal person can. And, uh, control means I can't enjoy it and keep it, you know, under wraps and do it only the way and when and how I'd like to. No, no, no. That's, it becomes my master. Really. I sacrifice for it, you know, willfully and sometimes un, un sometimes unwillingly too. Um, and, and then in two and, and why, because I have to manage my life because, you know, and I realize after a while I can't control the lust really. And I can't, and I'm not successfully managing my life either so i've got a step one and i walk into the i crawl into the program sit sat down in the chair that night and said hi my name is dove and i'm in some serious trouble and i need help and they and they did a and they did a newcomers meeting for me all because they people like you who decided to show up to a meeting so um so anyway that night so um um Step two to me is, is recognizing that if I can't do it, I need a power greater than myself that can help me. I know how to trust the power greater than myself. I know how to sacrifice. Uh, I know how to hide, you know, and stay, stay humble, not, not you know, uh, show off about it because I had to protect it and hide my acting out for years. Um, people who hide from the spouse, it, some of it's shame, of course. Some of it's fear of divorce or something, or for lack of sex at least, because they'll be angry at us. Except, uh, 
a huge part of it, I believe. I've come to believe after speaking to so many guys, is um, is uh, a huge part of it is is that I know that if I admit what I'm doing, my spouse is going to is going to check on me. I'm jeopardizing my access to this stuff, which is the most precious thing. And I still haven't found that magic bullet, but I might. So I better not. I better not risk it. So um, I have to protect it. So I have to keep it secret to keep it protected. So I like to I like to tell people that that all the protection that you're going to do isn't going to work. You're eventually probably eventually going to get caught. It might be this year, next year, in ten years, in twenty years, in thirty years. The more years go by, the worse it gets when you get caught. But your secret's not really safe with you, but your secret's safer with us. Guys don't want to admit it to, to a meeting and show up because they're dead scared that they're going to get outed and all that. But our your secret is safer with us than it is with you. <laughs> so, so, um, but that's, that's a hard thing to hear in the beginning, really hard. Um, I used to talk on phones. I called a couple of anonymous phone lines for help for addiction, you know, and I would like, you know, take off my thing and I would, hello, uh, you know, I, I, I use pay phones for phone sex, you know, because I was afraid the person on the other end of the line would think, you know, would, would like recognize my voice, even though you know, <laughs> it's like, here I am in Baltimore and there in um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they might, you know, recognize my voice. Anyway, it, paranoia. I get very paranoid when I'm acting out. Um, but anyway, so, so, um, so step two is recognizing that a power greater than myself, um, besides the, 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 uh, the lust, which is a power greater than myself, that brings me to insanity. There's got to be a power greater than myself if anything can restore me to sanity and help me stay sober, which are two different things. Um, so, so we look at step three. The program suggests step three. It's only a suggestion, and it says, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. Um, doesn't say turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. It said made a decision, and in AA they tell a story that three frogs are on a log, and one decides to jump off. How many frogs are left on the log? And the answer is three, because making a decision isn't taking an action. And to me, what that means is, how do you take that action? And that action is steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's what it is. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten are one unit, which is aimed at one thing backwards at step three. For me. You know, and when I do, when I go through life after making a decision that I'm going to let God run my life, I'm going to be his agent. He's going to be my director and, and things are going to be all right, you know, and I'm going to trust him. It's hell. It's just hell because I don't have my drug anymore because I'm powerless over it. So I can't afford to use it. And I'd rather die than use it. I'd rather die than actually, actually lose my sobriety and go back out there and, and all that. Um, but um, but um, uh, um, sorry, I'm losing 
little train of thought for because of a distraction. But um, the you, you know the problem the problem though is that uh, step four when I when I when I need step four is because I go out into the world to live with step three and I realize it ain't going to work because I don't have my drug and I have no clue how to live in true partnership with another human being. <laughs> I just have no clue. I know how to compete. I know how to manipulate. I know how to beg. I, <laughs> I know how to please, you know, another person sometimes in other, I don't know how to live in true partnership with another human being, which means that I don't know how to live in true partnership with God because he's, at least like another human being, if not more, right? So I have no clue how to live in true partnership with God. And I don't really have, which means that I don't really have a clue naturally as a sexaholic, as an acting out human being, person who trained himself for 20 years to manage life with sex and lust and fantasy, to keep it manageable, keep everything under wrap, keep, um, what do they call that, you know, when you're in the water kind of, you know, treading water. Um, um, that kind of man that, that, that I am when I act out um, can't manage this life. And all the trust in God in the world isn't going to work because my ego is blocking him at every turn, every turn. I don't accept the events in life, which means God's will for me. You know, God's will for me isn't in the Bible. God's will for me is in the events and circumstances of my past my present and my future. That's where God's will is for me. You know, that's where he talks to me the most. He talks to me in the Bible. I happen to be a believing uh, person, a religious person. Uh, so I, I have my religious beliefs and my religious texts and my religious, you know, stuff. But God talks to me through those things. But he talks to me much, much more through the events of just statistically speaking, if you count it up over the course of a day, thousands of times more through the events that happened to me and all the factors involved in arranging those events. Um, it's by the tens of thousands every day, really, when you think of it, when I think of it. So God's talking to me much, much more through events, conditions, circumstances, um, my own self, my body, my my nature, my money, my relationships, my it, it, you know everything that happens to me. Excuse me. So um, just a second. Thank you. So um, so life becomes pretty hellish in early recovery because I don't have um, any defense against my character defects. You know, I don't know any other way to manage my life, but using character defects. Um, so what I do is I um, either suffer, I lose my sobriety or I turn to step four. The steps are a necessity as I, as a, a person stays sober, they become just totally necessary. So so I came to my sponsor and said, hey, Jeff, what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, so uh, we worked through step four. He told me that if I had a perfect step three, if I really, really did turn my will and my life over the care of God, as I understand, as, in, in my relation, as, as my relationship with him is, 
I like Chuck C's definition of that, is if I did that very well, perfectly, or close to perfect, I wouldn't need the rest of the steps at all. I wouldn't. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, instead, though, uh, <laughs> nothing close. I'm a sexaholic. You know, alcoholics are the same way. <laughs> Drug addicts, same, same thing. Same thing. Life of manipulation and control and self-will run riot. Um, so I need step four to come to terms with the facts. And instead of looking at my character defects as monsters, uh, what helps me is through step four to, um, to uh, through step four to recognize that there are problems that I have. <laughs> That's all. There are problems that I have. There are challenges that I have. There, there are things that I've got, things I possess that are problems instead of monsters. The teenagers who come to recovery that I keep meeting who don't do well and leave, they usually talk about, they hear about step four, and the first thing you know is the self-condemnation that's pouring out of them is just, it's just freaking amazing, you know? These monsters, their defects, their 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 wrongs, their what all the all the all the languages that you know the three different ways Bill three or four ways Bill refers to them in the steps that are that he said are all the same, <laughs> but um, but uh, they're they're so evil, you know. And and I heard a guy say that he couldn't figure out positive assets because the twelve and twelve and even the even the big book makes mention of like you know seeing seeing like a house cleaning, you know, seeing the good about ourselves and the bad and all that stuff, um, trying to get a whole honest picture of ourselves. But guy complained he couldn't see anything positive about himself. And I thought it's not because, I think it's not because, in my, it, again, I'm reflecting off myself and I tell him that. I don't think it's because you can't see the good in yourself because there isn't any good or you're not aware of the good because it's not, because it's too small. I think it's a relative thing. I think that you probably are looking at your character defects as giant monstrosities. And because of that, um, because of that, um, no. you don't have the ability to really, um, to really notice anything good about yourself. As long as your character defects are monsters instead of problems, uh, who pays attention to anything in the room when there's a monster in the room? <laughs> you know, Godzilla's coming. I'm not going to notice a cockroach anymore, you know? So, uh, and I'm certainly not going to notice, uh, you know, uh, something nice. So, um, in our, in our acting out, self-pity becomes, uh, such a, such a popular thing. By the way, I, I just have to say that I don't know what to do about it, but the switching around of the screens is, is a little distracting. It's making it hard for me to, for me to concentrate i'm not sure if there's something i can do to change that or 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 you i'm talking to the uh, one of the fellows here who's um but whatever i trust you so um uh what self-pity really does is a very very dangerous character defect very dangerous tendency is that um it, it, it makes a person abdicate from life. It's the flip side of blaming. Trigger, you triggered me, you triggered me, you triggered me, I was triggered. Um, it's the flip side of blaming. And, uh, and it's, it decreases 
my responsibility in my own mind, puts it on someone else. Um, it makes me more and more expectant of the of help from other people, and um, and that's not really cool, you know. Uh, so, step four fights that. Step four is a real great weapon against that because step four says these aren't monsters; these are my tendencies; these are my natural um, instincts that that either went too far or are being misused. Um, or things that I've learned along the way that are just lies, you know, old ideas, old beliefs that are usually pretty crazy, at least the way I'm using them. So, so four is that self-acceptance. It's not going to give me freedom, but it's, the, it's a step towards freedom because, like I said before, with step four, I can do five. Five helps me begin to set those things outside myself in the company of another person. Six is another step along that direction of saying, okay, I'm willing for it to be removed from me. And seven is asking God, you can, you can remove this from me. You know, I don't ask him to take it. I don't know what he would do with it, but, but, but I ask him to remove them from me, just like I would ask him to remove a headache, you know? Um, uh, so eight and nine are just practice in restoring the relationship, amending the relationship so that instead of it operating under the, uh, under the direction of that character defect in that, you know, way that I tend to like to manage this relationship, someone does something to me, they start yelling at me or acting in a way that I find annoying I know my fourth step on them or on something very similar to them, some situa- situation very similar to the one I'm having with them. And I know what my, what, what my business here is and why this is bothering me so much is because of me. It's because of something I possess. And then I can do five, six, seven. And eight and nine is learning how to interact with that person now without that character defect operating. Because just because I just because God's removed my character defect doesn't teach me how to react to the situations at all. It just removes a sick way of reacting to the situation. So the surrender over there is being willing to learn, being teachable, and and being willing to learn a new way to interact. I know the old way. I might not have the character defect right this minute because He might have removed it from me for now at least because I didn't take it back yet. But, but guess what? Just because he removed it from me and it's gone doesn't mean I'll know how to react, how to respond, how to behave. Um, it won't naturally come to me necessarily. You know, Eight and nine lead to those promises where they say it comes to you naturally and all that stuff because I've started to learn and become teachable. Um, in, in, in having a new way to, to respond and interact, you know, to things that before would baffle us, bother us, you know, frighten us, chase us into, a, into that rabbit hole again, you know. So, so the steps are now freeing me from the things that are separating me from God. And where do they lead me to? Ten is just practice. And then... 11 is step three. 
That's all. 11 is just step three in action. Um, it's, 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 it's making him, um, making him my, uh, employer, my new employer for real. It's asking him what he wants me to do. Um, it's submitting to the fact that if I do what he wants me to do, things are going to be all right. That's step 11. So I don't need to ask him for anything more than the power, the knowledge of his will for me, the power to carry it out, to be of service, to be useful, that kind of thing. And the character defects might come up every now and then, but they will, but probably, but, um, but they're not going to be the problem that they were before because they won't be separating me from God because they're already most of the time outside of myself or they quickly get outside myself. And, and, um, I don't see him as monsters either. And, um, and I'm willing to have him remove them from me. So, so how does this play out in, uh, I'm going to take a break in a sec. How does this play out in, um, how does this play out in family relationships? And when my, I told my kids, don't disturb me until five after 11. Okay. What happens if they start knocking on the door now? You know, uh, you know, that's going to be a test to see if I go, Hey, I told you not to bother me, you know, because I'm afraid and I'm embarrassed, you know, uh, or because of whatever other character defects get, you know, kicking up. Um, and, um, maybe it'll be, maybe that knocking on the door will be something that's digging deeper into anything I've ever surrendered in this character defect before. Or maybe I took it back this morning or this afternoon and didn't even notice. You know. Anyway, so eight, nine, ten, eleven are just all the steps are, are one, two are pointing to step three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven are pointing back to step three. There is nothing but step three, and step three is surrender. Step three is saying, I'm not in charge of this isn't about me. I'm not the center of the universe. It's not about me. So which is freedom. That's the ultimate freedom. And I was always dying to say, life's got to be a gorgeous, amazing, superific, tremendous thing. Um, you know, because I thought I knew exactly how to control it and make it that way. You know, when, again, when I found the porn, I thought, yeah, I got it now. I got the recipe. I got the money, you know. And um, no, it doesn't work that way. It just, it just messed me up. It just played with me, you know. And um, surrendering everything to God is the way that is the way that things turn out okay. That's the way that life becomes uh, fantastic. Uh, are there? Are there? Am I supposed to stop for questions now or something? Yes. So we have a couple of questions. So I think now would be a good time to stop if that works. With you. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. All right. So first of all, you got Jonathan from California, I guess. He says he's met you in the past. Monday night, Timonium prayers meeting. Don't know what that is. Um, and he's happy to see you. So in here. <laughs> yes, let's see. Uh, all right. So he says he can relate to that energy becoming more into allergy energy, becoming more intense since getting into recovery, being more sensitive to things, I guess. Um, to the point where people on things that never used to affect me feel like they're suddenly everywhere. Hmm. Um, my question is, 
Uh, his question is if this amplified awareness or allergy ever goes away because it feels almost as unmanageable as when he was actively engaging less. Yeah, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me try to clarify here, um, at least as far as I can understand it. Um, I'm talking about the opposite of being more affected by things that randomly go by. I'm talking about the opposite of that. I'm affected less and less and less by things that randomly go by in recovery. I am more powerless over lust now than I was when I first came to SA. I'm sure of that. I'm more powerless over lust. In other words, not lust that's out there. I have plenty of power over lust that's out there. When I'm, when I'm walking by and a, and, and a, and a, and a person who's, who, who I find extremely attractive goes by and, and, and I'm like, and, and my eye just goes, oh, that's interesting. You know, <laughs> I can do this. I, you can't see me because there won't be a video of this, I don't think. But I just close my eyes gently and wait for it to pass on by. And um, I'm, not advocating, I'm not advocating people do that while they drive, but I do for a second. And that surrenders, that surrenders the thing for me. I let it go that way. And then I don't look back to check on them. When the positions change, they're, they're gone. And um, I got into four or five juicy car accidents, like I mentioned one of them, during my acting out years. I have not been in one car accident in the past 21 and a half years in sobriety. So, um, so I'm not advocating. I don't want to have legal responsibility that this call, you know, you got into, God forbid, an accident. But I'm just saying, you know, um, checking out stuff affects me far more than it ever did before because that's lusting. That's in me. That's me. But stuff that's outside of myself, you know, um, I, I tried going to my, one of my sister-in-law's um, high school graduations. Um, maybe it was before I was in recovery or maybe it was my first or second year of recovery. And I tried going to that graduation and I came out of there like, like a, a bedraggled rat. You know, I was, it, it, the, it was the, the girls, every one of them was beautiful. It was driving me friggin' nuts. Six or seven years later, the next sister-in-law's high school anniversary, I went to and I was fine. Why? Because I got better at lying to myself? I don't think so. I think it's because I got better at surrendering stuff and paying attention to what's important instead of, uh, you know, have, making every gathering of women into a beauty pageant for me. You know, and that's something that changed, not because I became a better person, but because I surrendered lust more. Right. So, so getting back to your question specifically, your experience is that you're finding that you're more, you're more aware of lust things that are out there than ever before in, in, in recovery and that they're affecting you more than ever now, whereas before they weren't such a big deal. So the logic of that, to me, is real simple. Before you're looking at naked people and stuff, you're doing who knows what with who knows who, who knows where, for who knows how long. And, and, um, and now you're not doing any of that. So where are you going to get your fix? Now all the little piddly things that you see, you know, are like, woohoo, you know, a big deal because it's the only little bit you're getting. It's like a poor person who's been given, you give them table scraps 
He used to be a king. He used to be a wealthy guy and eat steak every day. He's all crazy about table scraps now. You know, what do you, how can you blame him? I think it's a phase and I think you're going to be fine. <laughs> it, it's, Stick I think, it it, pardon me? Stick it out. I, I couldn't hear you. Stick it out. Yes. So I, I think, I think it's just a phase. And I think that, I think it comes from a lot of people doing, talking about vigilance. Vigilance is a huge mistake for me. Vigilance is just an excuse for me to think about sex all day long. You know, custody of the eyes is very important. But thinking about custody, custody of the eyes all day long, to me, is just an excuse to think about sex all day long. I need to let it go. I need to let it go and practice just letting it go. And that feeling, it, it's not going to happen in the big picture. It's what, what Roy says in the white book. It's one little lust thing at a time. It's going to happen. I think he also said it in this nice talk about the spirit of the sickness. It's, it's one temptation at a time. And he, I love that use of the word temptation. It was one temptation, one opportunity, one sweet opportunity at a time, letting it go, feeling some pain afterward, and praying for God to remove that pain from me. I don't ask God to remove the lust from me. That's my responsibility, letting go of the lust, not his. Chuck C. says the same thing about alcoholism, by the way. I don't think there's any difference. It's God's responsibility to take care of me. I'm sorry, so, but I don't want to cut you off. Oh, I'm piling up. Sorry. Sure. Um, so Davis, uh, kind of jumping around it because people started commenting here at the last minute. So David Simcha says he identifies he's much more sensitive to lust that he takes in, but the triggers become less and less, which I think resonates with what you just said. That makes a lot of exactly. sense. Exactly. And I can definitely, I feel the same in my personal experience. Um, Sly or Slee asks, uh, does one sponsor need to live in the same area as a sponsor so they can meet face-to-face occasionally? What's the short answer? I think it's much better for the, I don't see how I would have made it without that in my first three or four years. I, I need, I needed to have a, I don't know if I needed, maybe I would have stayed sober, but I doubt it. I, I can't understand how I would have made it without being face to face, without looking into my sponsor's eyes and seeing a grown man like me talking about God, like he's real. You can't hear that on the phone, you know? So, I mean, if you never heard it on the phone before, it's a big deal on the phone. But then when you see it face to face, it's a whole new ball game. And that's what I need, a whole new ball game. You know, so yeah, the sponsor in the same area really helps. If you don't have it, you don't have it, you know? So you do the best you can. But, you know. Right. Short answer. Next up. Um, perfect. Um, we still have a bunch, so I'm going to try to go through quickly. Um, how do you explain giving up selfishness, which he says is humility, but still having your own opinion, not wanting to be put down by others? I think he's trying to say, what's the balance of, you know, having an opinion, but at the same time being willing to listen to others' opinion, I guess. Yeah. Should I read it again? Yeah. One more time. Thanks. How do you explain giving up selfishness? humility, but still having your own opinion or not wanting to be put down by others? Okay. I don't know the answer to that question because I don't know how good I am at doing that. But the one thing I do know is that I'm working on it. 
because when I hear people who disagree with me, something inside me wants to say, oh, yeah, you know, and, um, and then I go, no, 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 that can't be the answer. You know, that oh, yeah, has got to be stupid. So I listen to what they have to say, and I disagree, and I think to myself, you know, they probably have a point, it might work for them, doesn't work for me, and that's okay, you know? Uh, and I, don't, I try not to forget what, they're, what they said, because something in what they said is probably true, and it might come in handy later on, you know? So the humility doesn't have to be a sledgehammer of humility. The humility can be, you know, a, um, you know, a, a screwdriver of humility, just twisting it a little bit off to the side. I can change the way I look at things and see things, listen to things, relate to things, but I don't have to give it up. I don't have to give up what I believe in just because somebody else has got some truth too. I'm not sure if that really answers your question. I'm working on it. That's the truth. So this one is, I don't know, for me, it's one of the more complicated ones. Um, And I guess we'll see how fast you can answer it or not. Uh, Yaakov W. Uh, My religion has very specific dictates about what God's will is. How can I be doing God's will if I'm not practicing my religion? Or more to the point, how can I accept God as my higher power if my God has all these requirements that I don't live up to? Right. Right. So I don't know, but, but, but I'm thinking, um, because it's in a rush, I'm kind of thinking more while I'm hearing the question and I'm sorry about that. If that's a decreases the quality of the deal here, but, but, um, if I, I would like to see my children doing things a certain way. Um, um, if they're doing some of the things that I like, and that I approve of and some of the things that I don't approve of, um, you know, uh, you know, I consider them a work in progress as long as they're growing along spiritual lines, as long as they're growing along the lines that, that makes sense to me. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong. I'm just telling you the way that it is here. So I'm just guessing that, that there are a lot of good things. There are a lot of things that are good for me. And since I believe personally God cannot need anything, he has to have created, it must be that he created me for my own sake and not for his sake, and everything else in the world that relates to me for my sake and for my benefit. So, so and all his instructions and rules and, and requirements and requests and suggestions are all for my benefit, not for his, because I don't believe he can need anything. So, if I'm doing some of the things that he wants me to do and I'm trying to do more of them willfully trying to do more of them, trying to go more in line with his will for me, I don't understand how he could feel like, uh, you know, I, like, I, you know, I, I don't see what's so bad about that. Um, specifically the questioner probably means that in recovery, we, in recovery, we discover that ritual ritual things, religious obligations, religious things start to take a back seat to us because we tried using religion for years to solve our addictive problem. And now in recovery, we start to have a shift of our priorities to accept what I was saying before, conditions, um, circumstances, events, that that's how God's speaking to me. 
because we were ignoring all that stuff before and trying to manipulate everything with sex, etc. Um, and and uh, and and now uh, here you are in recovery in the in this shifting you know uh, what's pendulum sort of away from uh, you know the old way of seeing things into a new way of seeing things and it's just it's very hard it's very difficult to give up some things and see yourself as still on the path of of the same god but i don't see how you're not as long as you're trying to to end up in the right place and and if you particularly if it's bothering you and you know that means that you still adhere you still ascribe to that to that religious belief and you want to end up at the same place. You're just on the way. That's all. So I would say that's beautiful. All right. Thank you, Dove. I'm sorry, guys, we couldn't finish the rest of the questions. It's next slot. We got to move along. Um, Dove, thank you so much for your time. It's always wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye.